I don't want this judge making these decisions. I don't think they'll be as fair to me as some as 12 members of my community. So that's reason number one, or category number one. And there's, again, a lot of, a lot of thought that needs to go into that. And reason number two is that you're going to use the cost and experience of your attorney as a weapon. When a opposing attorney gets a jury demand, when, you're, when we submit a jury demand saying our client wants a jury trial on all these issues, that is a message to the other side real quick that A, this is about to get very expensive, and B, the lawyer in particular, it may be quite nervous about that. The most difficult thing we do is try jury trials. Your hosts have earned a reputation as fierce and effective advocates inside and outside of the courtroom. Both partners are experienced trial attorneys who have been board certified in family law by the Texas Board of Legal Specialization. Okay, thanks for turning into For Better, Worse, or Divorce podcast, where we provide you tips and insight of how to navigate divorce and child custody situations. This is Jake Gilbreth. I'm with my partner, Brian Walters. And today we're going to start a jury trial series, which is one of me and Brian's favorite topics to talk about. So we'll be discussing the basics of a jury trial and family law matters in the state of Texas, and of course, our experience handling those, and then going to some more in-depth topics as we proceed through the series. So first of all, Brian, a question that a lot of times we get from our colleagues that are practicing outside the state of Texas kind of goes as follows. Are you serious? You try family law cases to a jury in the state of Texas. How often do you get that question from lawyers that don't practice in Texas? Yeah, I don't even get asked a question because it's not even on their radar. They don't even think it's possible. It's not even their realm of possibility. So I just mentioned it in passing and, and yeah, and then I get that exact response like, what, what on earth are you talking about? But yeah, we're the only state that does this evidently. And so especially as widely as we do. And as far as I can tell, I think just about it all. And at first it is a little step back a little bit and think, holy cow, you know, what kind of random people coming in and why aren't we letting a judge who does this all day long make these decisions? And I guess the answer is the same as why we don't, why we allow juries in a lot of different areas. So there's quite a few reasons for it. And we'll go over those a little bit today. Well, the answer is because we're Texas and we're better in Texas and we're better than everybody. So of course we have juries decide this. But I think it's shocking even when we talk to non-family lawyers when we say, yeah, absolutely, we'll take a family law case to a jury trial. And we'll talk about why you would, not every single case, in fact, very few cases go to a jury, a small percentage go to a jury as opposed to having a judge decide. But you have that right to make a jury demand on particular issues. So I guess let's start with that. What issues can the jury decide? Because I think even amongst family practitioners, I think they think, well, I make a jury demand and a jury's deciding everything. It's actually not the case. The jury's not back there, for example, calculating child support or coming up with the possession schedule. Right. It's a good so, point. Yeah, it's a really good point. So if you have children and you're married, it's really three lawsuits in one. And as I see it, kind of decide the high level, big picture decisions on each one. The first part is, are you married? That's off. That can be a question, believe it or not, with the common law marriage or people you know that aren't really married or thought they were married. So they can answer that question. Then, of course, they can decide whether we have community property, shared property, and we also have separate property, which is property that a person owns for the marriage or gifted or whatever. And they can decide if something is a community or separate property. And they can also decide the value of those pieces of property. If there's a dispute about you know how much a business is worth or something like that. And then if you have kids, whether you're married or not, the jury can decide sort of the big picture items on that. Who gets custody, right to establish residence of the child, 
And then sometimes even more importantly than that, where is that child going to live with the primary parent, which is a big issue. So those are the big picture questions. There are some smaller ones that, that can, and sub questions that can be answered and asked attorney fees. And, and some of these things are advisory and some are binding on the court. That's a whole nother sub question, but that's kind of the big, generally I'd say they decide the big picture items and the judge is still going to decide some of the details is, is a good way to look at it. Yeah, I think that's what I generally tell people, right? It's like really kind of point the family in the direction where they're going, and then the judge is going to do the details. So who gets custody? Because they can also decide sole versus joint. But most times, you know, the parties will have agreed that's going to be joint managing conservatorship. But then that big question of who has the right to determine the primary residence goes to a jury. But the jury's not going to go drill down unless they decide that one parent's sole. But the parents are joint managing conservators. The judge is going to go through those big rights that we've talked about in other podcasts, the 153-132 rights. For example, who gets to make educational decisions, who gets to make psychological and psychiatric decisions, the basic medical decisions, those are judges' decisions. You know, property, it's not that the jury's back there dividing up your property and decide who gets the house and who gets the 401k. But like you said, Brian, they're going to say, husband's got a business. Wife says it's worth $15 million. Husband says it's worth $2, All right. Well, that decision is going to make a big difference on how the estate's divided up. But you can ask for a jury to make that decision. Then the judge is going to have to take that decision and she's going to have to respect that decision of what the jury says the value and then use that in her division of the overall estate. Just like if they come back and they say dad gets custody or mom gets custody, the judge is going to have to take that decision and then she's going to have to incorporate that in making all her other decisions that are left to her. Yeah, I always, like you were saying with Brian, as far as the smaller issues, it's always interesting to pull out the pattern jury charge and read through kind of all the stuff that a jury can do but we most, a lot of times don't try to a jury. For example, reasonableness of attorney's fees. Are they can do the calculation of a reimbursement claim, but then it's up to a judge about whether or not to award it or not. Breach of fiduciary duty, fraud claims, those can go to a jury. And various interspousal torts, assault, stuff like that. You and I have tried torts to a interspousal torts to a jury, Brian, and those can go to a jury. They can go to a bench, but they can go to a jury. So that sort of strategically, that begs the question, well, why would I do that? Like, why would I go and ask for a jury? I guess that's my right. But back to what you were saying earlier, Brian, why wouldn't I just go try all this stuff to a judge who's going to have seen multiple custody cases or business valuation and she's going to have experience versus going to 12 or in county court six members of the public who may have been through a divorce themselves. Maybe they're a lawyer. If they are, they probably get struck from the jury, but one side's going to get them off there. But why would I have a jury do it as opposed to a judge? What's and obviously it's like we were talking about another situation earlier today, but obviously the answer is going to be it depends. But generally speaking, what are you looking at as far as why would do a jury versus having a judge decide? Yeah, it's a good question because going to a jury, just so everybody's clear about it, it's a, a longer process typically to get to a trial and it is a more expensive undertaking than trying it to a judge for you know, several reasons. I'm sure we'll get into that later in this in this series. So it's kind of two categories. One is that if you don't feel like what you're going to get from the judge is going to be fair, either because you've been to these preliminary hearings, we call them temporary orders hearings or some other type of procedural hearings, and you don't think this judge is going to be fair because you think either they don't like you or they're 
bias toward this particular outcome or that. And um, you think there's a mental health professional or a court appointed amicus or child custody evaluator or something like that, that you think the judge is going to rubber stamp rather than provide an independent decision on. So in that case, you want, you say to yourself, I don't want this judge making these decisions. I don't think they'll be as fair to me as some, as 12 members of my community. So that's reason number one or category number one. And there's, again, a lot of, a lot of thought that needs to go into that. And reason number two is that you're going to use the cost and experience of your attorney as a weapon. When a opposing attorney gets a jury demand, when you're when we submit a jury demand saying our client wants a jury trial on all these issues, that is a message to the other side real quick that A, this is about to get very expensive and B, the lawyer in particular, it may be quite nervous about that. The most difficult thing we do is try jury trials and very few lawyers in this state try them at really at all. An even tinier number try them regularly and an even tinier number than that. And we're talking about, you know, one hundredths of one percent now of lawyers try them frequently and very well. And we're pretty confident about our abilities. My mama taught me to be modest, but um, I think you try more family law jury trials to a verdict than anybody in this state, I think. I don't I don't think we have any you know, way to prove that one way or the other, but I'm real confident about that. And our firm, maybe our firm as a whole does as well. So that is really throwing down the gauntlet to the other side, that this is about to get very experienced, very serious, and are very expensive, very serious, and it may make the other the lawyers start sweating. I wouldn't be surprised if that's the, the the result when that happens. That's my take on it. You may see it a bit differently. No, I'm, I'm the same. I mean, it's a, every single. It depends. There's lots of different reasons why a case may make sense to go to a jury. Of course, you know, like courts where Travis County, Bear County have a rotating docket. So you may get one judge for temporary orders, a different judge for final. But if you've gotten indications from your judge that the that your client is not their favorite, then maybe that's the time to think about taking a case. To a jury. Sometimes, though, it really is just you think a jury is going to see it differently than a judge will. And so, always, I find, and, and like you said, we try a lot of jury trials. I don't know why our practice has developed that way. I'd like to think it's because we're really good at them, but we just ended up trying a bunch of jury trials and getting hired consistently to do, do jury trials or consult with people that are doing jury trials or getting pulled in as co counsel for jury trials. I do like to brag that I think when it comes to Vaudire, which we'll talk about more serious and in depth in the other podcasts, Sarah, who's the CEO of our firm, but you know, worked. Sarah worked as a paralegal before she was running our firm. My wife is. We take her to jury selection, Vaudire, and she is well known as being extremely good at sort of helping us work. Around. Obviously, she's not doing the Vaudire; she's not a lawyer, but helping us with taking notes and coming up with strikes, our strikes, who we're going to use, influence, and of course, who gets on the jury. Ultimately, we'll talk about it when we talk about another podcast. But the joke in the office is that her her vote always controls. I have an advisory opinion, but Sarah's vote always controls. But the point being, we get hired a lot on juries, but sometimes, in my experience in doing them, is sometimes they just see the world differently than as judges do, and sometimes as practitioners. I think we kind of get echo chambers the wrong phrase, but sometimes as family law practitioners and as judges and everything, we just start seeing things the same way over and over, because we see these cases over and over again, we know how they play out, and we just kind of think, okay, well, this is your fact scenario, so we all know this is how it's supposed to 
to me. And sometimes our world's a little bizarre, frankly, to the average person. Sometimes the way we see these cases are when there's mental health professionals and it makes total sense to us, it makes total sense to judges. I average person, if you ask them on the street and tell them this is what's going on, they kind of look at you sideways and go, that doesn't sound right the way that y'all are handling it. And for us, it may make sense, right? Because again, because of the experience and we've done it and the average person doesn't see it that way. And if you get the sense that you have one of those types of issues, I mean, moves a perfect example. A jury can make a decision about geographic restriction. There's a lot of judges that will tell you, no way, no how am I ever going to let a parent move? I mean, a parent can move, but let the kids move outside my jurisdiction or you know my county and contiguous counties. And they just have that bright line rule, which there's nothing wrong with a judge having that bright line rule. So a lot of them are very open about that. And there may be situations where a move makes sense and the average citizen is going to think that a move makes sense. And then, you know, that's just not the way the judge sees it, the way the practitioner sees it. So a jury may make sense. Other kind of just, this is generally speaking, that every single case is different. Sometimes as as practitioners and as judges, we really buy into our set of mental health professionals. Our guardian lives involved in the case or amicus involved in the case. And practitioners can kind of get so used to going, well, this is what the guardian says, what the amicus says. That's the end of the story. A judge can go get in a rut of just going, well, the guardian says this, the amicus says this. So that's what we're doing. And there's just no discussion. And my experience generally has been that a, well, of course, a jury like is going to listen to a guardian guardian or amicus and hear them out, they don't necessarily give them as much deference as maybe a judge will or a practitioner does because they don't know who these people are, right? They've the first time they ever heard of doctor so-and-so or social worker so-and-so coming in and telling them what they think should happen with custody of a kid. So all those things are just very, very broad levels of why you may want a jury in a case and why strategically that may make sense. I agree. And the other thing is that judges have an incentive to, they want people to settle their divorces and custody cases. Why? Two reasons, because their caseload is already heavy and it would be un- completely unmanageable unless most people settle their cases. How do you settle a case? Well, lawyers tell you this judge is going to probably do this in this situation. It's predictable, right? Litigation is predictable and it should be. You should be able to go into a court and get pretty much the same outcome with the same facts every time, right? But the problem with that is, and I think the domicile restriction or the moving one is a good example. The easiest way to, to deter people from coming, coming to trial to say, I want to move to Los Angeles with my kids and leave dad behind in Dallas or whatever. The easiest way to avoid that is to have a rule as a judge. Nobody's leaving Dallas, right? Everybody's going to stay here till the kids are grown for all practical purposes. And that does deter litigation. And, you know, frankly, that's probably the right choice for most families. But if they apply it very broadly, not always, but broadly. And problem with that is that they, I think that overrides the individual case. Sometimes a jury comes in there, they're, that's the first trial they've ever been on a jury. It's probably the last one. And they don't care about deterring litigation or setting policies. They want to do what's right for this particular case and for these particular children. And so you're, it's a good example. You know, you're more likely to be able to move with your kids if you have a jury making that decision. And I think that's one of the reasons why is that it's they don't care about deterring litigation. And again, it's perfectly normal for judges to do that. It's logical, but it might not be the best situation for your particular case. Well, I'll- 
and I'll say this too, to sort of, cause we're talking just really broad right now. We'll do more details. In this. I think a lot of practitioners try to scare their clients away from jury trials because they, they haven't tried on themselves or they, they, for whatever reason. And what I hear a lot of people tell clients or they tell judges is just use just such a, if you don't know what a jury's going to do. They're crazy. They're going to hate this. They're not going to pay attention or, or what have you. My experience, that doesn't mean that I've agreed with every single thing that a jury has done in my cases, but my experiences with juries is that they, well, like I said, they're very logical with the way that they approach things. And they, to your point, Brian, they try really hard. I've had juries that, again, I haven't always agreed with every single verdict, although it's, I haven't been surprised by many verdicts. Absolutely. I've never been surprised by a verdict. I've been surprised by some judges' rulings, but not by a jury verdict. Yeah, but it's the, but they try really, really hard. I mean, and I've tried ones where the judges are, because sometimes, some of them, not all of them are trying to deter you from trying them and just, well, you don't want to take this to a jury. They're going to hate to be here. We shouldn't be doing a jury trial in this case. These people are going to be so upset. Now, I'll say, picking a jury, you sit there and everybody's there for jury, jury duty. They have no idea why they're, what the type of case is. Most of them don't even know the difference between a civil case and a criminal case. So they think they're about to hear the O.J. Simpson case. And then the, the judge gets up or some multi-billion dollar med mal case. Corporations to each other. And the judge gets up and goes, this is a divorce case with kids. And you kind of see everybody's face fall. And oh, no, we're going to have to listen to a custody case for a week or a week and a half. And that's how they start. I have not had a single time where the jury hasn't had the time of their lives and really, really try hard to listen to the evidence and figure out what's particularly on kid custody cases, try to figure out what's best for that kid. I think I've just been so impressed. And again, I've tried them all the time. I'm just so impressed at people there with maybe maybe skeptical at first of why you can make me sit through this. But at the end of it, really take their job seriously. In real, and you just, when you talk to them afterwards, have such good recall about the evidence, about what the witnesses said, about what the exhibits are. They take their time. It's really impressive to watch. And these are people that are probably never spent a day in the courthouse in their lives for a lot of them. Sometimes you'll have them that, that somebody's on your jury doesn't have more than a high school education. If that, then you'll have people obviously that, that they with higher education and they get it and they try really hard. So that's, if you have a, a lawyer out there that's saying, don't take it to a jury, they're going to hate it, or a judge trying to, to deter you. Give it, I've heard the speech multiple times in my career, how upset everybody's going to be with you that you're making them sit through this. And that's just not been my experience. And that's in all, all jurisdictions. I mean, even if they hate the case, and I'll say that my first jury trial and my most recent one, the only two times I know the juries really hated the case. But even then, they were very conscientious. They were disgusted, I think, that they had to make this decision that, that the people, the adults who were parties, you know, had gotten themselves or their children into these situations. And But even, you know, again, they didn't just like make a crappy ruling and leave. They deliberated. They spent a lot of time, thought about it. And then they, as soon as they made, did their duty, they, they uh, took off. <laughs> so. Yeah, sometimes. Yeah. They, I'm not saying they always love my, my client or the other side or both, but they've always liked the lawyers. I'll say that. that. That's good. But it's just an impressive system. I mean, that's going back to how we started this episode of just when everybody looks, asks us like, how on earth could you let a jury make these decisions? I always kind of lead with this. Like, you'd be surprised how good a job that they do. And you'd be surprised at how hard that they try to get the right deal. And, and you know, the ones that we've talked to afterwards, they've enjoyed it. I've got cases referred to me over the years by 
by jurors that have sat on juries that have been or sat through Vaudire or what have you. So I think it's a great system. It's fascinating to people outside our, our state that, that we do these to juries, but I think it's an important part of our judicial process. And I personally believe that there's really, it's a great service to the justices and people being willing to come in and serve as jurors. I think it's something that makes our, our system work. And I think it's important that not everything is decided by somebody in a black robe, but there are certain things in your life that will be decided by your peers, not somebody that you didn't even realize was an elected official in, in your county. Yeah, I agree. And, and you know, it's, it's a good point. It probably keeps the judges a little bit in line too, knowing that they go too far on one, you know, against somebody or then or they seem that way, then the other, they're going to just demand a jury. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. Definitely a good option out there to, to be able to file that demand. It changes the discussion, the case very rapidly. So there's a lot more details about strategy and kind of logistics and how you, how we handle these things. We plan on sort of sharing, y'all know us, we're kind of open book about all this stuff. There's no secrets. So we'll be discussing that in the upcoming podcast series. So, but we'll wrap up with that broad overview for today. On our next episode, we are going to talk about uh, the jury selection process, Dyer, as it's called in the state of Texas. Uh, Sarah's going to join us. And so we'll be getting her thoughts on the process and her participation and how we see it. But that's what we'll cover for today. So if you're interested in giving us some feedback, we always appreciate it. You can leave us a review. You can contact us at podcast at waltersgilbert.com. You can visit us at our website. And of course, you can contact me or Brian or anybody at our firm at any time. So we'll wrap up with that for today. And thank you all for listening. For information about the topics covered in today's episode and more, you can visit our website at waltersgilbreth.com. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of For Better, Worse, or Divorce, where we post new episodes every first and third Wednesday. Do you have a topic you want discussed or a question for our hosts? Email us at podcast at waltersgilbreth.com. Thanks for listening. Until next time.